Are you an author who's tired of the long waits and low royalties? Exact Rush is here to change the game. We specialize in publishing with precision, and we get your book to market in just three to six months, not years. But we're not just about books. We also support your photography, web design, and content creation needs. Our focus ranges from spirituality to pop culture, and we're excited about our diverse lineup of upcoming releases. So if you're ready to keep more of your hard-earned money and get published faster, Exact Rush is your ticket. Visit exactrush.com and turn your creative dream into a profitable reality today. Tap into your most original thinking, organize your ideas, and create the opportunities to launch your creative work. Unlocking your world of creativity with best-selling author and brand innovator, Mark Stinson. Welcome back, friends, to our podcast, Unlocking Your World of Creativity. And as we've been talking about in the last few episodes, we've connected the dots from a poet to a violinist, today an architect and designer. We really look at the big picture of creativity and say, what does it take to get inspired? How do we organize our ideas? And then ultimately, how do we gain the confidence and make the connections to launch our work, to make an impact out in the world? And our world travels take us today to Oslo, Norway. And my guest is Joanna Salima. Joanna, welcome to the show. Uh, thank you so much, Mark, for having me. Joanna and I had a chance to meet when I traveled to Oslo not long ago. And we were talking specifically then about the impact of of design and design thinking and architecture on sustainability and uh, environmental causes. Joanna is also a dynamic creative with a unique blend of experiences from all over Europe, Porta, Rome, Berlin, now Norway. I think we start there, Joanna. How do these various experiences and places help inform your creative thinking? That's a very interesting question, Mark. I'm from Portugal. So I left Portugal when I was uh, 22 to study architecture in Italy. And uh, although the, the sort of the, the change is not very big in Italy, of course, uh, there is this whole historical sort of heritage and, and this, this sort of very heavy presence of Renaissance and Baroque styles and all of this sort of architecture history that sort of gave me a lot of interesting sort of background in how we have developed and how we are about with the, using architecture to frame the space and the world we live. Then from that, I went to Berlin, where I, I took a little bit more diving into technical part, you know, the, like mm -hmm. a bit of the cliche of where Germans are really good into this sort of technical and more sort of technological part of architecture. And, and that was very interesting. And, and then Holland, when I work with, the, with one of the best architects in the world at that time, Rem Kulhas, he is well known in the States, but has designed the Seattle Library, that is mm -hmm. a very kind mm -hmm. of well-known building. And he has had impact all over the world. That was extremely relevant because uh, working with them gave me this broadness uh, of understanding the world and understanding different parts of, of the context where we were developing this amazing, crazy project, sometimes really crazy project. You saw the project that we did in Dubai that yes. I showed in my presentation when I met you. And 
that was designing a city for 1 million people. That kind of scale you cannot do in Europe, of course. And it's quite, it was quite intense and quite interesting. But also it opened up my mind and to go in deeper into the research and to really go deeper into asking the right questions when you actually start a project. And, and that's where somehow I came about to come to Scandinavia. And Scandinavia, it's a very particular little testing ground in the world because in itself is very small. Oslo, and let, I'm talking about Scandinavia, of course, but let's focus in Norway. That's what I know the most. And Norway is a 5 million inhabitant, super large and big territory, but with yeah. 5 million inhabitants. And that's precisely the number of inhabitants of Madrid in Spain. A city <laughs> with a very rich economy and with a very advanced way of really understanding people's problems and welfare system and social democracy and all of these things that we lack all over the world. They made this little territory into a great experiment that actually works pretty well. Yes. So that's where I ended up and I've been here for 10 years now or more, actually 15 years. Oh my God, I'd uh, like to. Time flies, yes. Well, it's you're describing these diverse, you know, cities and environments for sure. But I liked it and I wanted to springboard off of the term that you were using, the research-driven design. And I think that applies to a lot of creative fields that we're not just coming up with creative ideas and whatever we can think of, but they actually have to be research-based and smart when it comes to meeting the brief, don't they? Yeah, and that, that's the most important thing. And, and that's where I bridged from architecture into social sciences uh, and into design thinking as well. My office that we haven't introduced yet, but that that I started in Oslo is actually a bridge between those worlds. And we are not only architects, but we are social scientists, design sociologists, anthropologists, psychologists, and as well, designers, service designers, system designers. And, and in general, we apply design thinking and sciences in order to inform our decisions when it comes to design. And the design can be, of course, buildings, but it's also services, is also digital products, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And that is, it's a very important way that we work, that it's like we need to collect enough data, and that's sometimes quantitative and sometimes qualitative data, in order to be able to really design things that we believe that might have better impact. And as we discussed previously, and to make the right decision if we should design new things or not, this was the provocative. <laughs> First, let's introduce the company, the Comp Bureau. Yes. Uh, and <laughs> Comp, tell us about the origin of the name. Uh, I, I love even the two parts of the name. That, is, that there's a bureau behind the name. <laughs> yeah, August Comte is is actually a French uh, scientist. He's considered the father of social sciences. And when we started the project, or the, we call it the project, it's still a project, but when we started our company, we decided that we needed this very scientific ground to it. Let's really go deeper into this. And, and I all, always believe that somehow architecture should be connected to social sciences. Somehow calling it Compt made a lot of sense. Time, maybe not the best branding, because we keep on having to explain what Compt is, and some people still think that is a cheese. And yes. 
<laughs> but it, when we tell the story, people understand what are the grounds uh, somehow. And Bureau was to actually make it a kind of a, a sort of a credible sort of office to go and to get proper information and to get pro products or designs that were believable, credible, and, and that made but it. But it has this investigative sound to it almost. Yes, as yeah. well. As and, well and so you could have called it a lab, a studio, a space, a workshop, a, con a co-op, a conglomerate. You know, there's a lot of words that people can put at the back of their company. And that's why it does stop you and go, something different must be going on inside those doors. Yeah, there was, I like that. I didn't think about that. But it's, it is a lot of investigation, let's put it that way. Research is all about investigating and go deeper into that. Yeah, I like that idea that it's yeah. an investigation, investigating bureau. No, there's this provocation that science and research have to, and social sciences particularly, have to be underneath and foundational to the design thinking, to the architecture. And going to the provocative statement that you made at the conference was when we think about sustainability, we're not just designing, but we're de designing to build, but we may be designing not to build or to build some other way or to build something different or to take a different path. And that, I think that's what perked people's ears and said, that's a different kind of discussion, isn't it? Yeah, but because that, that is a discussion that we don't want to have when we run a business, isn't it? Because well, we can. That's we the still... provocative, scary part. Did you just exactly. say design not to build? <laughs> yeah, but, but but that's that's the questions that we should be asking. Because if we really want to, I mean, we are at a critical point. I don't know how you in the states, how you guys talk about this, but in Europe, we are uh, very kind of direct discussing. We are slow to be direct. Let's say that yeah, we yeah. and we. It's still a little bit controversial, but. I think people realize the inflection point has arrived. And we are at the point that we can't just run business as usual. We need to think new and we need to think new very fast. And in that specifically platform where we were discussing innovation and cautious innovation, we need to be able to ask the right questions. And in a way, in that setup, uh, it was important for me to say that as an architect, I had made the decision to change somehow. Uh, my business plan around the way that I do business to actually question things and to actually say, do I need to continue building? Do we need to, can the answer be another one? Do we need to always to answer to the problems by saying, oh yeah, that's what I do. I'm an architect. I run a business. Let's build more. No, I have to stop and think, okay, is the problem that we're trying to solve solvable in a different manner? Yeah. So do we have enough in infrastructure? Do we have enough buildings that we can transform? Or can this be solved with an app? Can the problem be solved like with different times of occupation of the space, for example, and a good booking system? So sometimes we just need to be able to reframe a little bit the problems and, and to give different answers to the solutions that we're trying to find. And that was the discussion that we were having when we were talking about, that was, we need to textualize a little bit this conversation because in my group, in the debate that you were present, there was, of course, a furniture maker and, and a designer that was, the whole business plan is to sell clothing and to sell more t-shirts. Mm -hmm. And one wonders how many t-shirts do we need in the world? Do you know, how, yes. 
we can, with the, t- the amount of tissues that we have today, we can dress one person. We're talking about every single person in the planet three times a day. Mm-hmm. And that's an, a crazy number. So when do we say it's enough? We don't need more t-shirts. So interesting. And, and this is, yeah, and this is something that we need urgently to question and to change our business plans. And we can only do this if we really, instead of greenwashing our products and greenwashing our businesses, we just say, okay, we have to stop. We have to be conscious about what we are doing. Yes. And, there are, and, and that's why innovation is so important because we, we need to really invest to start thinking differently and to do things differently. So and you brought up uh, designing some of these experiences or whether it is an app or a new way of thinking. I was intrigued by one of the other presentations at our conference uh, of a social agency there in Oslo who was really changing the way maybe immigration and social services provided to uh, new citizens. But then it made me go back to your website and there was a nice three-hour Vimeo. Now, I can't tell you I watched every minute of the three hours, but it was a really a deep discussion of the experience uh, of buying, of reserving, of uh, a really lab-intensive but research-based discussion. And it sounds like that's the kind of parsing we can start doing that says, what part of the process could we be improving? Yeah, and for example, <clears throat> I, I don't know exactly which video you watched, but there was there is a very interesting uh, thing in relation to uh, loneliness. And I'm going to talk about loneliness because it's, it's a societal issue. And I'm going to introduce a new word that is societal issue. That it's something that we try, everything we do in the office is trying to somehow tackle a societal issue. Yeah. So let's put, let's put loneliness as a very big problem that it's increasing substantially among young people because of the use of technology and the use of social media. Kids are becoming more and more isolated and less in contact with their peers in a, nor- in a, non- a normal manner as we did when we were younger. And this is actually becoming a serious problem in Norway and other parts of the Europe. I'm not so sure about in the States. No, I think States. it is. Yes. Yes. And, and we've been, and this is a study that we did over a year where we actually went out and interview a big sample of different, different young people between 18 and 20 in, in academic sort of age way or, and, and we try to go deeper into understanding the behaviors and to understanding the needs and to understanding what makes them lonely. And based on this information, we actually designed housing to promote social interaction. Housing that have in itself spaces and uh, the way that the circulation is designed, the way that that even the, the private spaces are designed, it accommodates for, for a level of, how do you say, balance between privacy and social life. And this, the building is being built now, but this research has been informing not only one neighborhood in Oslo, or sorry, in Trondheim, but it has been informed every single student housing that has been developing now in Norway. So this is what I mean by if you have the right data and if you have the right information, you can actually use architecture as a tool to have a bigger impact. And now we know that what we are building 
is answering to a problem, is not creating a problem. Yes. In this case, in this specific case. Oh, sure. It's very course. encouraging and very strong. Yeah. Now, I wanted to slow down a little bit, though, because you made it sound like we did some research and found loneliness, and then we came up with this idea, and now we're building the building. I, fill in some gaps, because to really overcome some of these obstacles, some are political, some might be policy, some might be a lot of things. How do you go from, we have a great idea, to we're building the building? That's very interesting, because, of course, that this is a very aware society and both clients in the private sector and in the public sector are investing quite a lot in these problematics. Mm. So it's very, they understand the value, the economical value of tackling these problems very early on. Because if they don't tackle these problems, when they start appearing with services, with architecture or whatever, with other products and with, with the welfare system as well, if they don't tackle this very early, they know that this becomes pathological and it goes, goes, uh, uh, it can follow this youth through their whole life. So then they start being medicated instead of, and then you have problems with opioids and then you have problems with this and that. So it's, it's a sort of a, a chain of events that if it is preventing very early, and if you can actually, you will save a lot of tax, uh, taxpayers money. Sure. Uh, by the end of some time. So this is the very interesting thing about having a five, mi a five million population with a high income is that, you know, people are highly educated and people both in the government and both in the private sector understand the value of providing good services for their, for the population in general. Yes. Yeah. I wanted maybe to turn the corner a little bit on this thought and think about how many of these new and innovative and creative ideas often come through competitions or academic projects mm -hmm. that you've had a chance to be a jury member in any of these competitions. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting that you describe that it's a problem to solve, not just a creative or pretty project to develop. Uh, yeah. Are you seeing that shift? Yeah, it's very interesting because I'm also, I also been a teacher at, yes. uh, at the university here. And you see a very interesting shift that is the students are no longer interested in the sort of the aesthetical exercise that architecture has been, at least for the last 20 years, where we've been trying out really a, a lot of interesting technology, of course, and a lot of interesting new sort of constructive techniques that we didn't have before with the Bilbao Museum and structures like this that are that, that were impossible to make before we actually have access to to the softwares and all of these new things. But that arrived to a point that how many more museums can museums can we have? How many more fantastic buildings can we have in the middle of the city that sort of reflect the capitalistic and the sort of great achievements of our society? Now we have to retract and really focus on climate change and we have to focus on what it is really relevant that it's like we need to build spaces and we need to build buildings. If we are to building it, that actually can have a bigger impact in the societal challenges that we are facing today. And the students are so aware of this. And they are looking for new methods and new tools to actually be able to answer to this. And that's why design thinking became so, so relevant. 
uh, and it's becoming even more relevant because you go, you get tools and methodology to go deeper into understanding people's needs and to really involve people in the whole process and to learn by prototyping and testing before you move forward into developing, you know, th structures that are not relevant. And, uh, and then, of course, the fact that they are looking into social sciences to really understand society, understand behavior. Behavioral design has become a really interesting thing to look into uh, and really understand why we do the things we do. And we were discussing, you, you were very, very aware of the five whys and the discussion of the five whys. And this is a technique that we use like to really go deeper into understanding why is why, in a way. Mm -hmm. when, I ask, when I tell you, we need a swimming pool. And that was the, the I think, yes. the example that we have there. Uh, when we go to a neighborhood and we ask people, what do you need in this neighborhood to actually create some sort of dynamic and better quality of life for the neighborhood and a lively neighborhood? And people always tell you, we want a swimming pool. And we know that a swimming pool is not sustainable and that it's super expensive to build and to maintain and all of that. So we go deeper into understand, but why do you need a swimming pool? Oh, because we need a space that we can park the kids after school and they are safe and someone is taking care of them and they are learning something useful for their future lives. Okay, but the, why do they need to be parked after school? And then you go deeper and then you realize that what they actually need is just a safe space for kids to play around and to be safe and to be preventing them to, to join gangs or, yes. or do stuff that they shouldn't be doing. And then maybe just a pavilion with a lot of activities that is much cheaper and much more sustainable and that has someone taking care of them is enough to answer to that why and that first problem. So uh, these type of tools, we, we gain it from so social sciences. Uh, of course, I'm simplifying quite a lot, to Mark, here. Well, yes, of course. But, but, but it goes back yeah. to the basis of the company. In other words, we're not just here to design. We're here to think and solve societal yeah. problems. And I was curious, as we look over the horizon, you're reminding me of all these sort of famous architects and their work. It's the size and scope sometimes of the work is what we remember. Do you think in the future we'll remember the tallness of the building or will we remember the societal impact it had? And that's a very good question. But the difference here is that um, I don't think that my students and myself, putting it that way, with our company, we are actually, we don't care about the ego and the being remembered as, a, as an individual entity that has a signature. Do you know, we are not, we, we don't believe anymore in this fountainhead character. So we believe that we as a unity, and as a group of the people collaborating and extending that collaboration as much as we can and learning from each other as a sort of an organism that it's connected can actually have a much bigger impact in a shorter period. And, th and that we don't need to be remembered as individuals, but we need to be remembered that, well, we need to remind ourselves that what we are doing is for a cause. We have a mission. We are not doing it to satisfy any ego by any chance, but to satisfy, to make sure that our kids have a future. And, and I think about I your, guess, yeah. that's how we do get excited. Yes. Yeah. That the future. I think about the word collaboration that you just highlighted. 
and just to use our mutual experience and think about how to collaborate and design thinking uh, in total. I think across the agenda and the stage that we uh, shared that experience. How can the clothing designer and the furniture maker and the electronics retailer and some of the other people that we uh, shared that experience with, where does collaboration come into play so that we aren't just sitting at our individual offices with our individual teams trying to make impact? I think everyone is trying to answer that question, Mark. (laughs) (laughs) With all the situations that we have going on in the world, do you know? This is a moment where we are all asking, how are we going to solve this? And during COVID, COVID was a great period to really see how collaboration between countries and between institutions and organizations actually managed to solve a very problematic issue in a very short period of time. We managed to create the vaccines. We managed to close people inside of their houses for months and months. And people actually did that. And we, in some places, not everywhere. Present city, not Exactly. But it's like there, is, there, there was a kind of global collaboration and intent on solving a problem. And we managed to do it. And we proven that we are able to do that. But when, again, business as usual comes back, then we just think about our own sort of, you know, our own businesses and our own pockets and our own sort of individual sort of mark in the world. And then we ruin everything. (laughs) Yeah, that's why we can't let the pendulum go all the way back. Yeah, yeah. So it's, but it it is going. And this economical recession and all of these crises, and I don't want to talk about the war that is happening because it's, it is very present for us here. Mm -hmm. I I don't know how present it is for sure. Yeah. So these conflicts are actually taking us back and the economical recession, even more that it's caused by these conflicts, of course. And as I actually was discussing previously, I don't know if I talked with this about you, but we are defunding innovation in a lot of sectors. Mm -hmm. And this is a big problem because all the advances that we did in COVID are now and the momentum that we gain in COVID are being lost now with the funding of a lot of programs and a lot of innovation grants and a lot of interesting things that were going on because we are just cutting everything down to the bone. Mm-hmm. And, and in, in this moment where we have these problems is where we should be investing even more in innovation, even more in trying to solve these issues, even more making these networks and these collaborative organisms that are working together to actually solving something. But we are, we, the biggest organizations that we have in the world, UN and NATO and all of this, even those organizations are losing momentum now and credibility. It is, we are facing a a very, we are in a very strange moment. So Mm -hmm. we, the the private sector uh, need to do something about Well, yes, and and maybe we speak to our individual uh, impact, and maybe you could leave us with some encouragement and inspiration for the one creative person who might be listening. We have artists and uh, musicians and authors and all sorts of people trying to pursue creativity to make a human connection. And maybe if we've boiled down the societal things to the human one-to-one connection. What sort of insight could you provide 
and inspiration to those creative people to make a more human connection with their creative work? It's a very hard question, Marcus. <laughs> and we don't ask the easy questions. <laughs> no, that's a very hard question. But it was like, I, I don't want to fall into that kind of very cliche approach to it. But but I, I actually think that it's, it's uh, more than ever, we should be listening. Mm. We, we have to listen. We are in these echo chambers and we are creating even more deeper echo sh chambers. And we only care about those that actually speak the same tone of voice that we do and that care about the same colors that we do. And that is the wrong thing to do, in my opinion, and this is always my opinion, of course, that's the wrong thing to do at this moment. We should actually be much more aware that making this cross, you know, open up to the differences that, that we all have is what's going to make us better and what's going to make us survive in a way. Because we are becoming, we are becoming less and less tolerant. Mm -hmm. And th this is pushing us back. Uh, and very seriously pushing us back to a period of time that, that I'm not so sure if I want to go back to. <laughs> That's exactly right. You've yeah. really helped uh, bring us full circle in one respect. Because we started thinking about creativity and problem solving by understanding societal needs. But you've brought us back to, this is not just going to open up your creativity. This could save the world by making those one-to-one -one open up to a different point of view. So this is not about breaking old habits and ways of thinking just to make better work. This is about to make better people. And uh, yeah, you, I, you've I really underscored it quite well. Yeah, I think that's crucial. And that's what we need to be better people. <laughs> yes, I appreciate that. It's so good to talk to you again, Joanna. And I'm going to put all your contact information in the show notes because I know people are going to want to know more about you, your research, your work. We haven't even touched on the journalism and magazines and publications you've been a part of. We'll have to make a part two of this. You have such a wide range of creativity. We'll have to do another interview and get back together real soon. But thanks so much for being on the show. I really appreciate you taking the time. Thank you so much, Mark. It's lovely to speak with you. Yes. Enjoy the winter there in uh, Oslo. Thank you. <laughs> this is where your bright spirit has to lighten the city. So wherever you go, leave the light on, will you? <laughs> yeah, we're minus 10 right now. So oh, my it's, goodness. It's not easy. It's not there easy. you go. Keep the warmth of the, your creative uh, spirit alive. I and listeners, you. come back again next time. We're continuing our around-the-world journeys, talking to creative practitioners of all kinds. But we've talked about how to get inspired. We've talked about how to organize ideas and move them forward, gaining the confidence and often the connections to launch our work out into the world and make the kind of impact that Joanne has been talking about at the society level and at the very personal level. And that's what we need in the world today. For now, I'm Mark Stenson. Please come back again next time and we'll continue to unlock your world of creativity. Unlocking your world of creativity with best-selling author and brand innovator, Mark Stinson. This program was produced by BSB Media, creators of IntelliKey Leadership Stories, Unlocking Your World of Creativity and the Peace Room. Love.